Thank you, Kevin. Well, you guys are in for a treat. We got the slideshow working uh, this morning. We had to we had to go without, and I'm just not that entertaining without pictures. So, thankfully, <laughs> um, we're going to be in the book of Galatians, and this is actually going to be um, because Tom's coming in. Uh, this will be our last message out of the. Uh, book of Galatians for me. So um, let's dive right in. I know God's got some really great things to share with us. So Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, uh, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 26, verses 13 through 26. Uh, let's go ahead. Let us calm our hearts. Let's calm our minds. Let's open our ears to the word of God uh, as I begin to read there, starting in verse 13. For you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For your entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. I say then, walk, underline that if you have a pen, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love is joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, that now you would show us in our lives where we are living in the flesh, where we are living a life separated from you, God, if we're believers here and we've trusted you, help us to be followers also of you. God, I pray for those here that as they hear these things, the works of the flesh and see these things in their life, Lord, let them know that you are the only way to overcome the works of the flesh and to be living in the fruits of the Spirit. Lord, help us in Jesus' name to see those things. Amen. Hey, so uh, my question before we get started as we think about this passage is how many of you have ever had a roommate? Have you ever had a roommate? Maybe for some of you it was like way early and you had that roommate that was a sibling and it was a terrible experience. 
or maybe a good experience, but you had the roommate. Uh, maybe some of you, uh, you, you, and my wife will say she, w- she didn't have a roommate until she got to move in with me, and, and that might have been uh, uh, an experience for her. <laughs> My wife has a lot of grace on me. Maybe some of us, when we moved out of college, or when we moved out to college, that was our first experience moving in with a roommate. But we know that having a roommate can can really teach us a lot about ourselves. Anybody been there remember? Maybe it teaches us a lot about other people that we never thought we would learn. But having a roommate can be an intense and interesting experience. Well, for me, when I uh, turned 18, I asked my dad, uh, I said, hey, dad, can I, I know you have this rental place, it's about a four-bedroom house that's really in disrepair, can I go live there for a couple months, fix it up, and then we'll rent it out to me and my friends uh, throughout college. And he let me, so I get there and I work on it for a couple months, and then I invited some roommates to come and to live with me in this house. And by roommates, I mean college guys. So hold on. There were all kinds of things that that I learned uh, throughout my time, but there was one roommate uh, that moved in with me that I'll never forget. His name was Sam. I'm still good friends with Sam, but Sam, uh, and and not this Sam, (laughs) but a a different Sam. And uh, Sam, he he moved in and he, he showed me that there were some things about my living patterns that maybe were a little bit disgusting. Um, in fact, he, he, when he moved in, he told me about this thing called a vacuum cleaner, of which I had not owned. And he said, you know, hey man, this thing like cleans your floor. I was like, oh man, I, I, I didn't know you clean your floor. Right? And so he taught me about the vacuum cleaner. He, uh, I'll never forget the day he opened the fridge and he looked in and he says, man, how old are some of these things? I said, don't worry about it, man. They're cheap. And he, he said, he said he also was one of the ones who showed me that if there's like these little gray hairs that grow on your food, you're supposed to throw it out. Previous to this, I thought it was commonplace to take a spoon and just cut that piece off and continue to eat said food. I thought these things were perfectly natural and okay. And then Sam moved in and he started to show me that the way that I had been living previous to this was just absolutely disgusting. And so we have this passage of scripture where we see that the Holy Spirit moves into our life when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, when we say that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sin when we believe that and confess that, the Bible tells us that we get a new roommate. And his name is the Holy Spirit. He moves into our life and he begins to talk about some things that have been going on that are kind of gross. The things that we thought were perfectly normal and perfect, perfectly natural, but he begins to point out some things that maybe were a little gross. And so for us, we have this new nature that moves in and starts to go to work on us. It's important for us, before we start to begin to talk about our two natures, it's important for us to talk about this passage in Galatians. Paul writes this whole book, the book of Galatians, to the church in Galatia. 
And he says the whole big theme is that we would be free, that we would be free in our walk with God, that we would have the kind of freedom that comes in Christ, the freedom that comes uh, with belief in his cross. And, and he, he begins to show us that really at the end of the day, the greatest enemy to our freedom is ourselves. And then oftentimes when we place our faith in the freedom of Christ, we have a tendency to put those shackles back on and live like we've never been freed by Jesus. And so we're our greatest enemies to our freedom. And the second thing is we, as we read through this and to remind ourselves the context of this, it seems like when we get into the spirit versus the flesh, it, we read this passage and we think, oh, this is just about Christian living. This is just about how I live my life, and I, if I live my life, I'm going to have love and joy, peace, patience, and, and if I avoid sexual immorality. But I, I want to encourage you, that's not the context of the passage. The context of this passage is he's writing to a church about how they're doing church with one another. It is all, the context is all about how they're doing church. They're doing life with Christ, with one another. And so as we look at that, let's remember that context. And we remember that the Holy Spirit moves into our life and he begins to point out some nasty things that we have been living for and, and uh, with and they, things that were pretty normal. And so we see instantly, as Paul says in verse 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. We learn about these two natures, these two ways to walk in our life with Christ. And they are roommates, man. They both dwell in us. They both dwell in us. It's important for us to remember that even though we have a walk with God now, we have, we've trusted in Christ, if you've done that, that you now have a new nature, but the tendency for you is to remain in the flesh, to try to do church the way you did life, to try to do church, to try to do your new life in the way that you used to. And so we see that the flesh still remains. Even as believers, we all struggle with the flesh. In fact, Paul on many occasions said that there's a part of him that causes him to not do what he, excuse me, what he wants and to do the things that he doesn't want to do. This is the Apostle Paul recognizing that he has two natures, one with the Spirit, a walk with God, and then also he has his old nature, that of the flesh. And so we have to come to the place where we recognize that there is a war going on in us every time we encounter God, every time God wants to do something in us. There is something within us, ourselves, that is doing everything they can to make it feel uncomfortable for us to pursue God. doing everything it can to defeat God's works and his purposes, that we have a literal part of us that is working against the work of God in our life. And, and some of you, maybe that's no surprise. You're sitting here and you're like, man, I know that, right? You ever come to church and you have that part of you that's like, this is uncomfortable. I don't want to be here. I wish I would have slept in. You ever have that part of yourself? There is continually, you ever open up your scripture and you'd be like, man, I'm so tired. I don't want to really labor over God's word today. Maybe, maybe some of you, like when you go to pray with God, when you have intimacy with God, you're like, ugh, I don't want to just sit and pray. Sometimes it's very uncomfortable for me to do that. You know what that part of you is? That's the flesh. That's what Paul's talking about here. And the flesh makes every walk with God feel very awkward and uncomfortable. And so if you feel uncomfortable in church, that's good. 
that's good. And so the war remains, and, and I'll never forget, as Sam continued to show me uh, during our time as roommates what was uh, livable and what was okay and what was not, um, it, it, was, it was hard to navigate those things, but he continually pointed those things out to me. Um, but I had to take his advice. I had to take the things or the ways, like doing the dishes. Man, I, I thought that doing the dishes only ever happened when you needed a clean dish. And so Sam showed me, but in order for there to be a clean dishes, um, I had to roll up my sleeves and I had to get involved in the things that he was telling me. I had to get involved. I had to get involved in my walk or in cleaning up. I had to roll up my sleeves and actually vacuum the floor. And so for us, we have these two natures. We have the spirit versus the flesh. We have what God gave us through Jesus' death and we have all of our old nature um, we know ultimately that our flesh desires our sin and our death, that there's a literal part of you that wants you to fall into sin and to go to death. You have a literal part of you that's working for those things continually all the time. You're like, wow, that makes so much sense now that I know that. Um, we have a, a part of us that is, is uh, continually working for us to do the old way of life instead of the new way with Christ. And it's important for us to remember that in this war, it is so much easier for us to do what we've always done, to live the way that we've always lived, instead of doing the awkward and comfortable things that Jesus calls us to. And so as we look at what comes next, I want you to think about these two natures somewhat like this. There are two wolves. Okay. You have told me this story my entire life, and now I'm telling you. There are two wolves, and they're always fighting. One is darkness and despair. The other is light and hope. Which wolf wins? Okay, fine. Don't answer. Whichever one you feed. Good. Whichever one you feed. See, I, I love that little video clip because even the world understands this idea that we could have two natures battling. The unfortunate thing for the world is that they don't have the Holy Spirit to battle against the darkness of our, of our sin nature. So Paul then, he says, we have these two natures. We can walk by the flesh or we can walk by the Spirit. Let's, he gives us this diagnostic, this diagnostic, and, and, and as I thought about diagnostic, I thought about kind of like engine lights. When you see these things, typically it means you need to address something going on with your engine, because if you don't do something after you see these lights, what happens? Something terrible, right? You get on a long trip and your engine seizes up. If you don't address these things, so Paul gives us these things as these sensors, for these diagnostics to show us that something is going wrong. And the first thing we see about the flesh nature is this, is that we have, have to be active because if we are doing nothing in our walk with God, if, if the only time that you encounter God's word is when you come to church or when you talk to another believer, you are being inactive. And you have to remember that your nature is to avoid God is to avoid the things of God, to avoid his work. Your default mode is to war against, it, it is so much easier for us to ignore God, isn't it? 
than to do battle with him and to, to work on ourselves. It is most natural. And so if we're not active, we're inactive. We're inactive. And then Paul says, he uses this word, the works of the flesh are obvious. They're obvious. And I thought this was a curious word for him to use. They're obvious. Because for those who are looking at Christ and reading his scriptures and pondering him daily, these are very obviously contrary deeds to what Jesus is doing and what he's working on this earth. But for those who are focusing on the world, those who are looking at the world to set the standard for how we live, these things start to become a little harder to identify. So again, you already see that walking by the Spirit is the only way to overcome the deeds of the flesh. So then he he jumps into giving us these diagnostics, these warnings, these warning signs for us. So uh, in your in your bulletins, there's a there's a sheet if you have it that, that gives you these notes. I'm going to roll through these really quick, but I, you know, each one of these deeds you could almost spend an entire sermon on. And so as we go through these, I want you to circle the ones that maybe are, are, are identifiable in your life. Don't worry, don't look at each, don't cheat, don't use each other's test. Um, but just look at your own paper, but circle these things, these warning signs, if you see them in your life. I'm going to point them out how they apply, and again, these pertain to the church. So the warnings are this. Number one, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality as it pertains to the church. We know that the church today, statistically, is just as involved in sexual immorality as the world. There is just as much use of pornography in the church as there is anywhere else. There is just as much sexual immorality happening within the church, within the walls of the church, and within uh, believers as as, as is occurring out in the world. And so we see that maybe, maybe this is a, a warning sign that applies to many of us if we are struggling with sexual immorality, that maybe we're trying to walk out our life in the flesh. Next, moral impurity. Moral impurity, where do we see that happening within the church within the, as it pertains to the church? I think oftentimes we lie, we do things, we manipulate in order to get our way. That's, that's moral impurity, where we, we try to have our way by, through means uh, which, man, are contrary to the way that, that uh, an honorable person would do it. And so we see moral impurity happening within the church. People come and we say, how can I get my way in your own lives? Do you think, do you ponder, oftentimes think about when you're sleeping at night, how can I have my way and what are some ways that I can manipulate that to happen? And so we see moral impurity. Next, we see promiscuity, promiscuity. And and I think about, about this as he's addressing the Galatians. He's talking about people who are having sexual relationships over and over and over with many different people. Um, But I think as that applies to us today, when we come to church hoping that we're going to get the attention of specific people, that we are being promiscuous. When we we dress to impress, not not God, not out of worship, but out of the people who come, if we want to be noticed, if we come thinking, man, I hope they see me, I hope this, that that might be doing church, you might be around um, the, the body of Christ in the flesh in the flesh, if you're worried about the attention of others. I think oftentimes promiscuity might be the reason why we have a tough time giving ourselves up to abandon when we sing in worship. Not always. 
But oftentimes I would say that, that I, I'm worried about the attention I receive from others. And sometimes it can have the opposite effect. And then we have idolatry, idolatry in the church. And it doesn't take long for us to see that in the church, it's really hard to distinguish what is most important to the, the Christian community. The world looks at us and says, well, what is important? Is it politics? Is it, is it behaving? What is it? What is it that's so important to Christians when that shouldn't be a problem? They should look at us and say, they clearly are Christians, little Christ. They love this guy named Jesus who gave himself up for them. He should be the center focus. And when we make anything else more important than him, we have idolatry in our church. Sorcery happens in church then when we feel like if we do this, this, and this, God has to obey our will, that he, he will do what we want him to do. This is where we make deals with God. This is where we think if we have enough faith, if we pray the right prayer, that God is going to do exactly what we want him to do. And I would say that that is how the teaching of sorcery has per pervaded or gotten in. If I just say the right words together, God will do what I want him to do. And we know from scripture that, that that's just that's really not the case, that, that that is sorcery within the church, the manipulation of God. And then we have hatreds. We have hatreds. Do you ever come to church and you think, man, I hope I don't see so-and-so. I hope they don't come up and talk to me because I got serious beef on them. I got, I, I got some fight. I, there's something I, I just don't like about them. Do we have hatreds? Because if we do, then we're not walking out in the spirit. We're not walking out. Um, we're walking in the flesh. We're doing church in the flesh. And so then we have strife. And that's pretty obvious when we can't agree on anything. There's problems. There's problems. You ever find yourself arguing menial points? Arguing menial points with other believers. Like the type of music. The type of carpet. The menial things that just don't matter in the economy of Christ. When we get fixed on those things, it's a warning sign that we are not walking in the spirit, but instead we're walking by um, the flesh. And then uh, jealousy. Do you ever come to church and you have this feeling, this is where we would, we would be so jealous for our things that we're worried that the, the body of Christ is going to affect the things that we own. I hope they don't. I, and we come to church with this really guarded mentality, like this is my time. These are my things. This is not for God's people. I don't want to share these things with anybody. And we come and we're really jealous. We don't want people to mess up our nice stuff. Or our way, and so we, we become jealous, and that's a sign. And outbursts of anger, that's pretty um, self explanatory. We get selfish ambitions where we hope that maybe we could brag on going to church. I go to this or this church, or, or I go. Um, or I go to church in general, and we hope that that's going to be a status thing. Sometimes we brag about it. I go to this church. Look at me. Right? And that's selfish ambitions, selfish ambitions that we, we would want to rise up in the ranks of the church to be impressive. Dissensions and, and factions, um, as, we, as we see, there's a problem, and as a, as, a, as a youth pastor, I unfortunately see this too much, but if the young and the old generations can't meet in the same room and mingle and love one another, there's a problem. There's a problem. This is a warning sign for us that maybe we're not walking in the Spirit and so if we find ourselves separated, if you notice, and this is very unconscious, right? It's always easier for us to operate in the flesh. When we come to church, it's easier to go to people in our own life stage, the things that people we relate to most. But if we're united by Christ, 
that blows away all of that, and we become, uh, we relate to one another through Jesus, and so we do dissensions and factions. Envy, obviously, if, if you come and you, you start to look at other couples, you ever do this and be like, man, I wish I was like that, or I wish I had that, what they have. Do you come to church like that? It might be, an, it might be a sign, a diagnostic that says that you're doing church in the flesh. Drunkenness, carousing, is it, when you meet with other people is the only way for you to have fun and to engage is to have some type of substance. Is it is the only way that you can meet with one another to have something or is it, can we meet as simply, uh, we, you know, without the lights, without without the big TV, without without the drinks, and we can we sit together and enjoy one another's presence simply? If we struggle with that, Maybe that's a sign that we're doing church in the flesh. And so, in act of obvious, these are the warning signs. And then Paul goes on, and he points out, you guys doing okay? That was a pretty intense list. You guys still with me? Okay. Okay. Here we go. Uh, So last one for the flesh. Paul gets really intense here. And he says, um, I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And see, here's what he's saying. He's saying, my church, God's church is different. It is different. It is not how the world does organization. It does not how the world meets together because they don't have Jesus. And so when we make parallels and think that the church has to be entertainment, that the church has to meet my every need like a business Um, The church is not a business. It's not a business. Jesus died for her, for us, so that we could come together. And so what he's saying here is is don't practice the things that those in in the world practice. Don't practice those things inside the church because the church is wholly different. When you walk in the Spirit, it's wholly different than the way of the world, than the way of the world. And so he's saying don't, don't do the things that those who don't have the kingdom of God through Jesus do inside the church. And then he begins to unpack what healthy, spirit-led walk in Christ looks like. And so it's important for us, again, to remember that this is active. This is intentional. If you don't do anything, your natural state is going to be in rebellion against God. And so you have to choose sometimes to pursue Christ in your life, even if it's not convenient, even if it doesn't feel comfortable. Uh, Because our easiest and most natural way of walking is the flesh. And then next, uh, I'd like us to kind of think about or ponder the fact that the fruit of the Spirit is pretty subtle. Have you ever tried to watch a fruit grow? It's kind of like watching paint, right, dry. You heard that old saying, it's a slow growth. It's a slow growth, and sometimes it's very subtle. It's very subtle. The same is true for the fruit of the Spirit in times. Oftentimes, when we're doing what we should be doing, it's actually pretty quiet. When we're walking in the way that we should be walking, it's actually pretty quiet for us. I I, I think about... um, I kind of missed this before we get into the the fruits of the Spirit, is this. Um, You guys know the story of David. Now, what was David's major sin? What was David's major sin? Do you guys know? During his life, he he had a run-in with a a gal named Bathsheba who was married to another man, and he, he slept with another man's wife. 
And, and so we have this, this heinous sin, but a lot of us kind of miss in the story, the whole big purpose of that story is that David was not walking and doing the things that he should have been doing. See, if he would have been living up to his role or walking as a king of Israel, then he would have been off at war with his people. And he would have never stepped into the works of the flesh in his life. So for us, if we're walking in the way that we should be walking, we're going to see the fruits of the Spirit come. We're going to see the only way for us to overcome the flesh is to replace it by walking in the Spirit. The only way for us to overcome the flesh is to be walking in the Spirit. Um, and so subtle, that fruit is subtle. Um, and, and as I think about this subtle ministry, st- subtle conversations, those informal conversations that we have about Jesus, the informal things that we do, um, how, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I don't see him here, so I'll point him out. Bob is our maintenance man. And you know, Bob, Bob's probably not a guy that gets a ton of praise because the chairs are here, they're all set up, the floor is vacuumed, and you guys aren't sitting here thinking, dang, I'm glad Bob is here. That's a subtle way to serve. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a servant mentality. Many of us should have a little bit more of that mentality within the church. We're okay with the subtleties of God's work in our life. When we walk, we humbly serve in ways that don't receive praise, that don't receive praise. And so that informal ministry for you, are your, I, I believe this 100% that the most important thing that the church does is in the informal. It's what you and I do during the week that is the most important aspect of the church. If you're not encountering Jesus, if you're not opening your Bible, if you're not having intimate conversations with the God of the universe, it, then, then when you come to church, you're, you're probably going to go to your default mode, the flesh. You don't have that same thing to offer us as the church. Our most powerful, powerful ministry is not the programs. It's not about how impressive we are or how big we are as a church. The most important part of us as a church is are we engaging with the Lord of the universe? Are we having time with him? Are we, are we making that a precedent in our life? And when that happens, when that happens, then the fruit of the Spirit become prominent in our church become prominent in our lives. And this is where Paul gets at. If we focus on Jesus, we're doing the things that we ought, then these things come very, very true in our church. And so we're going we're gonna to go through um, the products of a walk in the Spirit, the products of a walk in the Spirit within the church. And, and so we have love. Many of us have heard this word over and over and over, but, but the big premise here is that if we're walking in the Spirit all of the time as a, as a faith family, when we get together, we can't help but love one another because of the love that we have been experiencing from Jesus all week. And so I want you to look real quick. Just look around. Just look. Don't look at me. Stop looking at me. You look around. Look around. There you go. Is there somebody in here that, is there, there are folks in here that you just love, you love them. You love them. If not, maybe you're not walking in the spirit as you ought before you get here. Because if you see people in here that you're like, man, I love them. I love them. If you come to church and you have a tough time thinking, man, I love God. So when we love God and we love the church, that is evidence or proof. It is a dashboard sign that tells us that we're walking in the spirit. Next, joy. Sometimes when we open our Bible, it's, it's, it's like a labor 
That ought not be when we're walking in the Spirit, when we teach ourselves and we grow in ourselves. I'll tell you now, um, you know, man, 15 years of studying Scripture later in my life, sometimes I'm so excited to open up my Scripture because I'm just blown away every time. It never ceases to amaze me. Even when I'm exhausted, the things that God speaks into my life through His Scripture, I'm glad to do that. When we come on Sunday to be with one another and praise God with one another, do you view that sometimes as a drag, as a duty, as a have to? That might be a sign that you're not walking in the Spirit during the week with God because when you walk with Him, you can't help but go to church and you're excited to share all of the amazing wealth of relationship that you've gotten from the God of the universe. You can't wait to give that to others. It's overwhelming if you're encountering the Spirit of God during the week, if you're walking with Him. And then we have peace. See, the thing is, when we're united by Jesus... All of the other menial things that cause us to argue and get frustrated about with one another, they kind of, they like, they kind of fade into to black. When you focus on the person and work of Jesus Christ, you realize, man, you know, that really doesn't matter. The color of the seats don't matter. Whether it's electric guitar or drums or whether there's an organ, that stuff doesn't really matter as long as I get to praise my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we're united and we're in peace because of our Savior Jesus. We have to do that as a church. And if we're not, it's an evidence that we're not walking in the Spirit. Next, kindness. Kindness with one another. Are we kind with one another? Are we harsh? I think oftentimes people and Christians can be so harsh to other people because they're not connecting with the gracious Lord that offered them incredible kindness throughout the week. And so we get here, and you ever said something harsh, and you're like, oh, wow, that was kind of harsh, actually. You know, that just kind of slipped out. You know what that is? It's a product of the flesh. But when you walk in gentleness with the Lord, hey, man, it comes out of that kindness. You're like, man, how can I give of myself to my brothers and sisters in church? I want to serve them. Goodness is pretty self-explanatory, right? The God who created all things to be good made it good to be with his brothers and with, with his family, the faith family that he bought, that he created for us. It is good. It is good. Faithfulness, faithfulness. When we encounter the kind of commitment it took for Jesus to go all the way to the cross, never, never leaving, never not forsaking, but going all the way to the cross on our behalf, we see that he committed to the church, that he gave himself up for the one that he loved, which was his bride, the church. This is us. And so faithfulness to the church, commitment to the church is not unheard of. It is a fruit of the Spirit. You know why? Because we love these people. We love one another. We're committed to them and like a family, right? You, some of you maybe have the, the family members that it doesn't matter if they do terrible or they do really well or they're really successful, they really mess up. You love them because you're, they're your family and you're committed to your family. The same is true as the fruit of spending time with Christ. Next, gentleness. That gentleness that comes. We empathize with one another. We weep with those who are weeping and we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And so for us, this looks like when somebody loses somebody, right? Sometimes there's nothing to say. You ever been there? There's nothing to say. Sometimes all you can do is sit down and weep with them. There's something precious and beautiful about that. 
And when somebody has this huge success, you're not worried about being envy, envious of what they've got. You're just stoked. Like, man, that is awesome. I'm so pumped for you. That, that flows, that kind of gentleness flows out of us when we connect. And lastly, the self-control. And, and again, self-control is not something that's super obvious. Would you agree? You know, everybody's not sitting here thinking, oh, man, they're looking around like, I'm so glad so-and-so didn't say that. They're, they're, not, they're not thinking about that self-control. But when you have a beautiful connection with God, you realize that there's some things that just don't need to be said. And you're so much, it's so much easier to control your tongue, right? So much easier to control your tongue. You're like, man, I can, I can die to that preference. I don't really care. That's something I like. I realize that maybe not everybody else. I don't need to express that. I don't need to express discontent in this and this and this because I, I have the kind of self-control that says, you know, at the end of the day, that doesn't really matter in the kingdom of God. It doesn't really matter. And so the last thing that Paul leaves us with is this, is focus. And, and we see this um, Galatians 5, uh, and he starts it there in 24. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He said it's all about Jesus. If you don't have a connection to the person and work of Jesus Christ, none of these fruits are available to you within the church and within your lives. We don't know how to love without the kind of love that Jesus offered us. So why would we walk in the deeds of the flesh within our church? And this is Paul's question to us. He said it has to be about Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit, when he moves in to us, he's, I, I, I've heard this picture of Jesus as, or a Holy Spirit as a, a spotlight. What does a spotlight do? It highlights something continually always, right? Like on a football field, you're not thinking, oh, look at those spotlights. They're doing an awesome job, right? But the, the, the job of the Holy Spirit is continually always to highlight, to spotlight the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so if you're walking in the Spirit, then man, you are crazy about Jesus and you are fixated and focused on Him. That is a sign that you're walking in the Spirit if you're focused on Jesus and he, he says here, since, 25, since we live by the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. If you're a believer here, it is really possible for you to try to do this Christianity thing apart from God, but it's not going to work out very well. It's really easy. It's our default mode to try to do church our way instead of God's way. It's really easy for us to walk in. It's, in fact, it's natural for us, but it, the, the tricky part is choosing to follow the Spirit is what Paul says. Follow the Spirit. Follow the Spirit. So we can, we can be saved, we can know Jesus, but we can choose not to follow the Spirit at times. That's that, that dual nature. So as I finish, and Paul finishes, he says, brothers, Brothers and sisters, don't be conceited. Don't be conceited. What does that mean? Don't make your walk with Jesus solely about you. Don't make your Christianity about you. Don't make your church about you. You're going to be miserable if you do that. But if you come to church and you say, this is about Jesus. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And you continually say that, you're going to see fruit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
self-control. Um, you can see all those fruits well up inside of you. This is not a sermon to say you just need to love better. <laughs> it's not a sermon to say you need to have peace or you need to stop fighting. It's a sermon to say if you want the kind of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness that comes, you need to focus on the only one who has it for us, and that's Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit to point that out in our lives. Did any of these flesh warnings stand out to you in your life? Did you circle any? Did you highlight any? If you were like me, then the entire page was probably highlighted at some point or another. Because we have worked and we've, we've done church in the flesh for so long. Let's be, let's be honest for that. But let, let's us pray and ask God that he would show us how to do church in the spirit, how to walk in the spirit, how to focus on the person of Jesus. Replace your flesh. Again, the only way to overcome the flesh is to replace it by walking in the spirit. Your walk with the Spirit directly affects the rest of us. Your connection to Jesus directly affects the rest of us and everybody in your family and in your life. The greatest gift you have to give is intimacy and love and relationship with the God of the universe. That is the only and greatest gift that you have to give others. Don't, don't rob us from the blessing this week. Get in your scriptures. Get in your knees. Get with Jesus so that we can, we can experience the blessings of one another, experiencing the blessings of God. Guys, let me pray for you. Thank you for being here. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, for who you are. And I thank you that we can love one another in light of you. God, I thank you for your grace. You are good to us. Help us to be people willing to live by the Spirit and not by the flesh. For those here who don't know you, God, I pray that, that uh, they would know that there is no way to overcome the flesh but through you. And so, Lord, help, help them to know that you are God, that you are Savior. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Hey, guys, happy Sunday, and have a good one. <laughs>